Indefensible Inc. is usually a pretty clean podcast, right? I think we keep it fairly not blue. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We know that it's a great uh, Wednesday evening tradition for many millions of families all over the world to huddle around the radio and listen to the latest episode. But uh, today's going to be a little different. We're running an explicit podcast uh, today. Uh, When I load this up, I will be clicking the little button that says it's explicit. Uh, The comic that we're discussing in this episode contains explicit references to sex, underage drinking, teenage pregnancy, various forms of domestic abuse, and suicide. Uh, I don't think we're going to get too raunchy. Uh, I'm from the Midwest, and it creeps people out when we swear or talk about sex too much. (laughs) But we we advise all of you out there in Radioland to tuck in the kitties before settling in with this episode. You've been advised. Yes. Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a closer look at some notoriously and allegedly terrible comics and comic runs. So today we are tackling Trouble, a controversial five-issue series from Marvel's Epic Imprint, released in 2003. Now this was written by Mark Millar, who was probably best known now as the guy who wrote the books that Wanted, Kick-Ass, and The Kingsman were based on. If you're not familiar with Mark Millar, he started out as kind of the writer Grant Morrison's apprentice, co-writing some books with him like Swamp Thing, JLA, Flash, and Aztec at DC. Uh, Apparently there was some kind of falling out between them, and Millar ended up taking over the authority from Warren Ellis, and then went to Marvel to do Ultimate X-Men and The Ultimates. The art on this series is by Terry and Rachel Dodson, and uh, if you recall, we talked about Terry Dodson in our recent episode about the 90s hero mantra. Yeah, this is uh, 10 years later, and the upgrade in art style is really uh, quite amazing. Wikipedia summarizes the real-world story behind Trouble by saying it was, quote, meant to repopularize romance comics, which were very popular in the 1950s, selling millions of copies, but it failed, end quote. Uh, with Trouble, Marvel claimed they were trying to court a audi- an audience outside of what's often considered the sort of niche, uh, male-dominated world of comics fandom. So to appeal to a younger female demographic, or try to, the covers didn't look like typical comic book covers. Instead, they had photo covers like glamour shots of teenage models with the overall sort of design aesthetic meant to look right at home next to teen magazines or teen romance novels of the time. There was also intended to be like a collected edition uh, that would be heavily promoted in bookstores and accompanied by a push to get mainstream media coverage of the book. Uh, Unfortunately for Marvel, the series was not well received in monthly release. Uh, Then Marvel president Bill Jameis, Uh, was one of the main instigators of this project. And when he was booted from his post for various reasons we don't really have the time to get into here, uh, everyone was pretty much happy to sort of forget trouble ever happened. 
So this seems pretty cut and dried, right? Like Marvel took a chance on doing something pitched to a more mainstream audience, uh, maybe sort of a gateway comic, and it didn't turn out. Just sort of a failed experiment. Not a huge deal, right? But here's the twist, and the reason that this seemingly innocuous teen romance comic sent thousands of diehard comics fans into fits of anger on the internet. Uh, This story was also designed to maybe act as the new origin of Spider-Man. So... This series is about four teenagers named May, Ben, Richie, and Mary. Um, If you know about Spider-Man, you know that. probably know that Peter Parker has an Aunt May and an Uncle Ben. If you know your Spider-Man history a little more, you might know that his parents are named Richard and Mary. Uh, So your logical question is, is this about them? And in fact, this is a story about a teen pregnancy that results in the birth of a child named Peter. I don't think it's a spoiler for this story, because this is expressly how they promoted it at the time. I dug up an, uh, an old press conference that Newsarama.com had covered at the time uh, with the aforementioned Bill Jamis, then editor-in-chief Joe Quesada, and writer Mark Millar. And they come right out and say that it's never made explicit that May is Aunt May and that baby Peter is Peter Parker, so you can read it however you want to read it, but if comics readers embraced it, it could become canon. Uh, Jameis is quoted as saying, That's why we're leaving this open-ended. I hope that Marvel readers will be proud to call trouble the origin of Spider-Man. Yada yada. There have been a lot of half-rumors and misreported stories to the tune that this is really Aunt May, etc. But that's not confirmed because, frankly, we don't know for sure. We know it's a great book. In that press conference, they're also pretty upfront about the reasoning behind this odd move. Despite this being a push to get non-comics readers on board, they still wanted regular comics readers to buy it in comic book shops, and they wanted media attention. And both of those things are more likely if there's some connection to Spider-Man, even if it is tenuous and possibly not in canon or whatever. On the other hand, they admit that retailers couldn't be predicted to order this in the same way that they had ordered uh, Origin a few years earlier, the series that was explicitly set out as the official canon origin of Wolverine and not just maybe if the fans are okay with it uh, sort of thing that Trouble is. Anyway, fans were not okay with Trouble. Uh, Reviewers didn't particularly like it. Longtime fans resented the many, many contradictions to established Spider-Man lore, and the teenage girls and other new readers apparently never really showed up. So that's the history of this huge ordeal, but let's dig into whether this series actually warranted all the controversy that it got. So in issue one, we start some years ago with Ben and Richard Parker about to head off for the summer for their summer jobs. Uh, they look to be uh, high school, recent high school graduates at this point. They're talking to their parents. Ben's mother tells him to stay away from alcohol and cigarettes and, quote, terrible, fast and loose women. Richard makes a, quote, joke about how she shouldn't worry because Ben's gay and worst case scenario is he comes home with a six foot Swedish guy with a secret crush on Pop. 
Yeah. Uh, and their dad actually like absolutely busts a gut at this, uh, quote, again, quote unquote joke that at first I thought was sarcastic because he goes, ha ha ha. You hear that, Ben? You hear what your brother just said? I swear to God, that boy's so funny. He should be on TV, but apparently it is meant to be an actual, very funny joke. Um, I think it's meant to indicate that Richie is the favorite of the two brothers. Um, that the dad later says, hell, that's one great kid we raised. And his wife has to remind him that he has two children. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a little bit of a character development moment, even if it, on the surface it seems just like an unfunny gay panic joke. Um, so meanwhile, elsewhere we see... Mary and May also being seen off by their parents on their way to their to their summer gig uh, at the same resort. And once they're on the bus, May reveals she stole a bottle of bourbon from her father. And so that's our first hint that May is going to be the titular trouble, I guess. Uh, but on the road, May is writing in her diary... Um, I don't know how she's writing in a diary on, on a bus. That's fairly impressive. <laughs> um, but she's reflecting on how she thinks it's childish to keep a diary and she's going to stop writing about uh, writing in one. And she writes, quote, But the irony, of course, is that the amount of time you spend writing about life is indirectly proportional to the amount of time you spend living it. So we know she's got some some plans for the for the summer to live life to the fullest. Uh, one line that she says in relation to this is she says, "Why speculate about kissing somebody when a living, breathing person will stick their hand up your sweater with hardly any coaxing at all?" So this doesn't sound like it was written by some thirty-year-old straight dude, does it? <laughs> no. Uh... I mean, let's. I don't know what Mark Millar was like as a teenager, but I would guess he was a comics nerd like many of us. And this is like a teenage somebody who was a comics nerd as a teenager. Their idea of what like the cool teenagers got up to while they mm-hmm. were reading comics. Uh, if you ask, I mean, if you ask me, uh, let's be fair. If you ask me to write a teenage sex comedy, my dialogue dialogue would be exactly this clueless. So, yeah. So it's it's not great. Um, on the positive side, one one neat visual I do like from this sequence is they work the credits for the issue into the road signs along the way. So there's like a billboard with a male model showing uh, that has uh, Mark Millar's name on it in a kind of tongue in cheek way, and then um, some of the other signs have the other contributors' names. Yeah, it's sort of like a cinematic opening credits vibe. So the four main characters all arrive at the resort, which is run by a man named Peter Shelby. And he gives a speech to the staff, tells them how prestigious the resort is, and kind of lays down the rules. And one of the rules is no intimate relations between unmarried members of the service staff. And so he explains the reasons behind this in genteel language, but then he says... In other words, please keep your John Thomases safely in your trousers. And at that point, Richard says, that go for the girls too, sir? 
and this causes Mary to almost double over in laughter, trying to stifle a laugh. So, yeah, apparently, in-universe, he's like the funniest person in existence. Yeah, I guess that's sort of in the same way that you have to suspend your disbelief that, like, Captain America can throw a shield and it returns, you know, exactly to his hand. We mm-hmm. have to suspend our disbelief to believe that this guy is, like, the funniest dude that you will ever meet on your wild summer uh, <laughs> your wild summer break. Yeah, so uh, he he gets a big reaction from, from Mary, and Peter Shelby tells, at this point, tells Richard that he's he's a troublemaker and that he's going to have to keep an eye on him the whole summer. We get sort of a montage of May and Mary getting to do various cleaning jobs around the resort, washing dishes, scrubbing bathrooms, etc. Some of the rich clientele treat them horribly as they wait tables and such. Yeah, one of the uh, clients actually uses the word shan't. Like, tell her she shan't be receiving a service charge. Mm-hmm. I was I was definitely waiting for a, well, I never. <laughs> I was disappointed do clean my monocle off it's dropped into my tea <laughs> yes um uh, so that's the the crowd they're they're working for um at one point ben parker is about to serve them food and he's in the back kitchen and he spits on some rich guy's pork chop to impress the ladies funny and a bad boy yes he's, he's got it all mm-hmm. so ben and richard uh, later on, are talking about how they're hoping to get lucky this summer. And Richard has his eyes set on Mary rather than May. At this point, Richard says to Ben regarding May, If I keep taking the skanky ones, you're never going to get yourself laid, right? Yeah, uh, maybe maybe I'm just a prudish Midwesterner, but I would never in one million years talk to, talk to my brother like this. I don't know. Yeah. But um, this is this is like the first part where I really become aware that like that is meant to be Aunt May. <laughs> mm-hmm. When you refer to her as the skanky one. Yep. And uh, so already we get a sense of Richard as a character and how he is going to be an asshole through through most of the series. Yep. A little foreshadowing. At a dance later that night, Ben and May go off and dance, as do Richard and Mary. May says it's mostly old people out dancing at this resort, so let's get out of here, go somewhere else. And she runs off, leading the way. And she removes her clothing and then goes skinny dipping. So they, the, th- the three others end up following her. Uh, and in case you were waiting your entire comic reading life to find out whether Uncle Ben was totally shredded back in the day, <laughs> you get a panel that answers that question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also there's some weird kind of chronology throughout this series that we're trying to to parse out. There's a reference to the Emmanuel adult movies, which... Uh, Wikipedia research reveals came out in the 1970s. Yeah, there's a bunch of references that seem to suggest this is happening in the 70s. There's a line about Vietnam as well, like it's sort of a recent thing. Um, I guess if you did the math, a 20-something Peter Parker in when this was released in 2003 
would have been born in like the 70s somewhere, but it adds a weird dimension to your comic trying to appeal to uh, teenage girls of 2003 being like, this is set 25 years ago. This is this is what it was like when your parents were your age. So mm-hmm. when you're reading these exciting adventures, think about your parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely you want to play into the 70s retro nostalgia <laughs> for for that demographic. Yes. So they, they all end up skinny dipping. Uh, Peter Shelby appears and stumbles across May's missing clothing and tries to track them down in order to catch them red-handed. Uh, but they manage to slip by him and and kind of have a laugh at his expense. Yeah, we get some uh, sort of threes company wacky misunderstanding humor because... Peter Shelby finds a bra and picks it up, and then, like, at that exact moment, his wife walks in on him, holding it. He has the exact same awkward reaction to being found with the bra that I had when my wife found me reading these comics with the teenage models on the cover in swimsuits. All I can say is this is one time that having the digital versions is a definite advantage. Yes. I'm going to have to do something with these these physical copies. I don't leave them in the woods or something. (laughs) <laughs> uh so the the four the four of them go back to their rooms mary and richard are about to have sex but she decides that it's happening too fast on the other hand ben and may are ready and willing and go ahead with it ben is worried about protection leading to a panel in which may clad only in a bed sheet holds up a condom and says face it tiger you just hit the jackpot so this is, of course, the famous line that Mary Jane Watson says in her first appearance when she, when she meets Peter Parker. So if we let's say that we are, for the moment, considering this canon, one assumes that at some point before Peter met Mary Jane, Aunt May sat down with Mary Jane and told her, you know, the first time that I got down with my dear late husband, I said this thing about face a tiger, you just hit the jackpot. I recommend you use the same phrase on Peter because, like, the Parker boys go wild for it. You kids have a nice time. But <laughs> remember. And, and the rest is comics history. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, that's uh, hard to get out of your, your brain once once you see that panel. Yep. Um, <laughs> yeah, because, because she looks like she has red hair, kind of like Mary Jane, and Mary mm-hmm. has, like blonde hair and a headband like Gwen Stacy. So there's some weird Oedipal stuff going on <laughs> right off the bat. Yeah. Enjoy your teenage romance comic with the, the 70s references and the Oedipal angst. Um, but the her finding the condom is the cliffhanger I guess <laughs> of, the, of the issue and it ends the issue. Yep. Two opens, splash panel, Aunt May asking Ben, well, not Aunt May yet, but May asking Ben, you done? So Ben says, I'm done, and apologizes for being kind of fast. He does not, at this point, offer to do anything further for her, so this has shattered my long-held conception that Uncle Ben was a generous lover. <laughs> doesn't, well. <laughs> doesn't seem to be the case. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, they have some pillow talk. Ben talks about wanting a cigarette, not because he smokes, but because it's what they do in movies. Uh, He mentions that his idea 
for the summer had been to do a Florida theme park thing, with the implication that, of course, it's Disney World. Um, which is sort of funny because Disney did not own Marvel at this point. Um, that would seem almost like a tie-in at this point. Uh, May says she's fantasized about, quote, doing it with a guy in a mouse outfit, end quote. So, again, keep it in mind. <laughs> Next time More you read your... information yeah. we didn't need. Yeah. Next time you read your favorite Spider-Man story from the Lee and Ditko era, just think about how she would really like to get done with Mickey Mouse. They talk about why they decided to work... Uh, why, did they, why they decided to work for the summer instead of just, like, taking a break. Ben says he wants to see the world, maybe make some money, buy a bitch in Camaro. He actually does want a Camaro. Uh, May says that she wants to buy a camper van like Scooby-Doo's. So, a, a, a contemporary reference at the <laughs> at the time, I suppose, if it is mm-hmm. the 70s, which is not clear. Uh, this eventually leads into a discussion about how Richie is his dad's favorite. And at this point, he's saying it's not that his dad hates Ben, it's just that there's a clear favorite and it's Richard. Uh, ben is referred to as having been in and out of the hospital with some unspecified malady or injuries. This becomes muddier later on, but we will get to that. So at this point, he asks, how come a cool chick like you settled for Little Richie's unspectacular big brother? And May says, because that's a question Little Richie would have never asked me, baby. I don't know if that's if that's sweet, but she likes his vulnerability, apparently. Mm-hmm. Uh, cut to Richie, Rich, uh, Richie and Mary. Mary says she's worried that Richie is going to think that she's frigid because she's not sleeping with him and that he's going to call her the Virgin Mary. Uh, Richie is saying, no, I think it's cool that you don't follow the herd. Taking a stand like this just proves that you've got a mind of your own. But it's totally insincere because when she's gone, he curses damn Bible-thumping, clap-happy, guitar-playing priests, which I don't see where that was motivated, but maybe... There's, and then later, Ben refers to her in a conversation with Richie as the Virgin Mary. So obviously, the first thing that Richie did was like, hey, let me tell you about my new girlfriend. I'm calling her the Virgin Mary. Not cool. No. <laughs> this whole, I think I think we, we can have a standing umbrella judgment of everything that happens in this comic is not cool. Not cool. <laughs> uh, uh, meanwhile, Ben says, let's just say that unless things calm down, I'm going to find myself blowing this entire month's wages on condoms, dude. Once again, (laughs) Uncle Ben, Aunt May. It's not, I don't think it's unfair for me to keep harping on this because, like, this is how they promoted it. Mm -hmm. You know? But uh, May and Mary talk about sex. Uh, May says, the sex could be a little more interesting, but I don't think I've ever dated anyone as generous as this before. Which we've seen that's not the case. (laughs) And in person, maybe he gets, maybe he he picks up... uh, some moves later. Richard says, 10 cents for carrying eight suitcases up three, three, uh, three flights of stairs? 10 cents could even buy a freaking Superman comic these days. Ben says, yeah, can you believe those guys have the nerve to 12, charge 12 cents for that crap now? Now, if I may, if we may t- put aside all the exciting teenage romance adventures and talk about the price of comic books in history. Please. <laughs> please. This can't be the 70s because like my nerd knowledge of how much uh, comic books cost at any given time. Uh, comics were like did go up from ten to twelve cents at one point, but like by 1969, they were fifteen cents. By 1972, they would have been twenty cents. Hmm. I'm I'm pulled right out of of this comic. I think you've broken this case wide open. Yes. <laughs> so then we get some kind of montage where 
uh, they've all gotten paid for the first time, and they're going out having a good time, spending some money, uh, pretending to be wealthy. They go to stores and try out expensive clothes. Richie tries out an Edwardian sort of suit with like a top hat. Uh, ben wears a pimp fur coat, which I think is a good look, and you should have cut that up. Uh, then they go to a jeweler's and an art dealer, and they make demands like they've got a bunch of money, you know. Sort of a Ferris Bueller thing, I guess, they got going on. Yeah. Uh, they take a convertible on a joyride. The car salesman knows that they don't really have any money, but he says that that's a lot more fun than sitting in an office. So we get... They're bringing joy into the life of the squares. <laughs> this... Now, this, this is stuff where, like, this scene could have been fun if the characters weren't already established as completely unlikable so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the thing about, like, do you find... Do you think that Ferris Bueller is an appealing character, or is he just, like, a monster that you don't want to spend time with in a movie? I'm in the monster camp, but I could go off on a rant about that, so I'll just <laughs> leave that. So then, after they've gone on their joyride, uh, they all talk about the stuff that they bought with their paycheck. May apparently collects something called gonks. They mention it in dialogue. Uh, she said that she bought herself one, and then Ben bought her one as well. Uh, Terry Dodson, in drawing this, draws like a troll doll, so you sort of get, I guess, what it's meant to be. But I looked it up, and Gonks are some kind of UK novelty doll from the 60s that looks nothing like that. It looks sort of like a McDonald's fry kid, if you remember that, like the sort of shaggy mm -hmm. with eyeballs. So more yeah. uh, time confusion, more what country are they in <laughs> confusion. Maybe is there going to be like a, a Infinity Gems tie-in <laughs> later on in the, issue, in the series where the fabric of time and reality has been tampered with. I probably would have enjoyed the, the story more if, <laughs> if they had gone that route. Uh, Richard and Mary celebrate their 14-day anniversary. Very cute. Uh, that was insincere. <laughs> ben and May are, nearly, uh, are nearby boning. Uh, Richard is a little jealous and asks Mary whether her objection to getting down is religious in nature. And it turns out that it's not. Mary says that a palm reader told her if she had sex before marriage, she would be a mom before she was 20. And that conversely, nobody, and this is a quote, nobody was ever going to call May mom. So I feel, first of all, this is a lot of weight to be putting on a fortune teller's thing. But I get, you know, you're mm -hmm. a teenager, you're looking for answers. But if you are the sort of person who takes fortune telling seriously... I feel like you got to be on the lookout for like elliptical, cryptic wording like this because no one would mm -hmm. ever call May mom. If this was the Twilight Zone, you know how this episode <laughs> is going to end. But we will press yeah. on anyway. There's like, there's tons of explanations. Like maybe her child is mute or yeah. she like is living in France and right. her My children mom. grew up learning a different language. That's true. That they, I, You know what? I... I apologize. There are many ways this could have gone. <laughs> so yeah, so Richie's sort of upset at hearing this. He's, his uh, attitude is basically, I have blue balls because of some fortune teller that you saw a couple years ago. Um, back at the resort, some spoiled rich kid guests are hassling May because they saw her out in the town earlier pretending to have money, but clearly she's just some lowly common hotel worker who shan't be getting a tip. Uh, May fantasizes about punching one of those guys' teeth out, but she doesn't. Um, Richie consoles her, and they have sort of a tender moment, and then 
this turns into Richie and May kissing. And here is our romantic cliffhanger for this issue. So in issue three, uh, Richard and May take things to the next level because of that kiss. Uh, They end up hooking up and then they get into an argument uh, after May feels some remorse about cheating on Ben, which leads to some slut shaming by Richard and accusations that Oliver, quote, wild behavior is trying to get back at her father. They then do the predictable argument turning into kissing again thing. Richard, you know, again, total jerk. <laughs> Just totally an id monster. Um, mm-hmm. But Ben, who is, you know, the nice brother, the nice guy, um, is oblivious. Uh, some of the other uh, guys who work at the hotel are, like, talking to him, and he goes, you guys are just jealous because you've only got Mrs. Palm and her five lovely daughters for company. I assume this is some weird Scottish euphemism that we don't that we don't have here. I don't remember. I don't recall <laughs> anybody ever saying Mrs. Palm. I, I get it, but... Yeah, I have not encountered that, <laughs> that expression either. If you have, let us know, but... Uh, <laughs> May tells Mary that she's been cheating on Ben, but uh, doesn't tell her that it's with Richard, because that's her boyfriend. Uh, May then asks Mary to help cover for her by lying and say that she's going to the movies that night. Uh, however, Ben and Richard are also off doing something together, so that plan falls through. So then after they have sex, May and Ben discuss the prophecy regarding Mary becoming a mother, which they both dismiss. Uh, and I have to say, I wasn't expecting a... Uncle Ben and Aunt May sexcapade comic to hinge on a prophecy <laughs> right. center of it, but that's where we are. Ben starts talking about whether they'll see each other after the summer, and May tells him to stop trying to plan things out so far ahead of time. Yeah, so they're having sex in the sand uh, in the sand trap on a golf course. His sweaty face and saying like, "Oh God," that was really the moment that hammered home to me that like this is a thirty-something man writing these scenarios about teenagers. I don't know what this feeling means, but it's, I felt weird about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of, so that, that, that prophecy that you mentioned, uh, they mentioned that the fortune teller was a Mrs. Gray, who was supposed to be like a, from a famous line of fortune tellers. So I guess that's, uh, maybe like a Jean Gray parents reference. Yeah. That's what I was wondering too. And then at one point, Mesa and, May says to Ben, um, I come from an amazing line of breeders and you only have to look at a woman in my family to fertilize our eggs. Now, this is not what a dude wants to, <laughs> wants to hear in this situation. When you were boning on a golf course and you're having your summer fling, you don't want to say like, by the way, super fertile here. Even if you are banking on Jean Grey's mom, having told you that you're not going to have kids. Yeah, it's also not something like a human being would generally say. Right. <laughs> but in this comic, we're not really concerned with human beings. We're... No. So Ben, at that point, goes to Mary and asks her why May seems to act weird whenever he brings up the future of the relationship. He asks whether it's a possibility that there's another guy. Uh, Mary is hanging up decorations for some kind of event, and she drops 
a decoration that shatters when he asks her, asks her about another guy. But she manages to tell him that May cheating on him isn't a possibility, it's not like her. She says maybe May is acting weird because she's still upset about the rich kids that harassed her the previous week. Ben apparently hadn't been told about this and storms off for some reason. Uh, we find out that Ben has gone off to find the rich kid and to beat him up. Along the way, Peter Shelby tries to get Ben to stop and do some work, and Ben briefly tells him off. Uh, I don't think there's any real repercussions for that. No. no. Uh, meanwhile, Mary mentions to Richard that Ben went storming off, and Richard rushes off to stop him because apparently Ben has a prior criminal record and could get in big trouble. Richard and Mary show up only to find that Ben's gotten beaten up. It turns out that the reason Richard was worried about him was because Ben is a terrible fighter. Yeah, so this is like a whole weird, like, swerve, right? Because it's, it's, it's weirdly set up that, like, oh, like, he can't fight. You'd, he'll get in trouble with the cops, and also he's bad at fighting. So I don't know what mm-hmm. Ben's implied history is here that he was always getting in fights and losing. Mm-hmm. But... It's, it, it seems like you should have set that up earlier to, like, build some tension. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah it's, it's also, like, he, I don't know, he just, he knows exactly which kid it is, even though <laughs> yeah. there's no description from from uh, Mary about who it is. Yeah, well, it was, like, one of the rich kids, and he was like, I bet it's that, and there's a lot of fat jokes in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So afterwards, May and Richard hook up again. Ben accidentally walks in on them laying in bed, but it's dark, so he doesn't know it's May. All he knows is that Richard is sleeping with someone who isn't Mary. At that moment, Mary comes walking toward the cabin, and Ben adheres to the kind of bros-before-hose logic and lies to her on Richard's behalf. Uh, Next, for whatever reason, May (laughs) goes out that night and plays strip poker, which doesn't really seem motivated but (laughs) then the next day may and mary are talking may tells mary that her her period is two and a half weeks late and that she's gotten tested and has found out she's pregnant issue four opens up opening splash panel Aunt May puking in a public bathroom. The rare literal sp- splash panel. <laughs> uh, so May's got morning sickness. Uh, Mary is there for support. Mary says that heavy bouts of morning sickness in the first trimester are supposed to indicate a healthy baby. Um, this is our first suggestion that maybe Mary is perhaps a more, might be a more responsible and research-driven parent. Um, May says she's never going to eat anything again, which humorously smash cuts to a diner where she's ordering a huge breakfast because pregnant ladies be hungry. They discuss the baby situation. May says that she'll probably keep the baby, but she doesn't even want to think about it at the moment. Um, Her dad is apparently going to flip out about this. They make some references later about him being like a fundamentalist. Mary asks if she knows who the father is. And May is indignant at the application, uh, the implication, you know, that like, oh, I wouldn't know who it is. Uh, the phrase tramp of the year is floated in this, in this exchange. 
And she says that the only guys that she slept with are Ben and the mystery man, who she can't tell Mary about because it's her boyfriend. Uh, May says that it wasn't supposed to happen this way. She just wanted to have a fun and crazy summer, like in a movie. Uh, Then she brings up the fortune teller thing again. So this gives Mary an idea. Since she reasons that the fortune teller was so obviously wrong about May never, you know, no one will ever call May mom, uh, she decides, I'm in the clear, I'm going to go have sex with Richie. We get a montage of a rocket going off, flowers, uh, beating eggs, (laughs) waves, fireworks, and then by the end of it, Richie is begging her to stop. I think that this series would have been better if, if it was just like the opening scenes and then like 120 pages of these visual <laughs> stand-ins for sex. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure we I, we could we could think of we could think of a few more. But once again, family planning through something that a fortune teller told you for 20 bucks, you know, however many years ago. Um, so May and Richie have a talk. Uh, they each have something to say to each other, and Richie goes first. Richie says that they should end their affair. Uh, he says that the sex is good, but they're cheating on people that they genuinely love. Uh, they don't really even seem to like each other, the, he points out. And Richie pretty much just straight up admits that now that he and his actual girlfriend are boning, he doesn't need a side piece. Richie assumes that May's big news was the same thing, that they should break it off. She doesn't tell him that she's pregnant because it's a embarrassed, I guess is what we're supposed to take away from this. Now May and Ben have a talk. She works up the nerve to tell him that she's pregnant, with the implication being that the baby is hit is Ben's. Uh, ben says that he's sterile. So that's sort of a cliffhanger in the middle of the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, understandably, when May tells Mary about this, Mary is like, what 18-year-old kid knows that he's sterile? Uh, apparently... Ben's father at one point kicked him in the balls so hard that he had to go to the hospital and they, the doctor could tell him that he couldn't have children. So like, that's pretty, that's pretty horrifying. First of all, Mm -hmm. in the middle of your like summer romp comic, but also like two issues ago, if you recall, Ben was like, Oh yeah, Richie's the favorite, but it's not a big deal. It's not like my dad hates me. I mean, just, I was just in and out of the hospital all the time. And like two issues later, we find out like, yeah, Ben's father regularly beat him until he had to go to the hospital. Is that was he lying earlier, or is like halfway through? But like, you know what? You know what? This story needs to kick it up a notch. Is child abuse? It's, yeah, it's for the teenage girls who are we're hoping will read this. Right, right. It's uh, just very tonally out of place, and disturbing. And then it's weird that it's not a bigger part of the story because like. This is apparently a big revelation, and they set up the like tension between the brothers and being the favorite. Anyway, May has told Ben everything at this point, um, including that she was sleeping with his brother, and Ben packs his bags to leave. Richie shows up, and he's crying because he feels bad. Uh, ben is resentful that like the one girl who liked him instead of Richie, Richie had to sleep with as well. Richie says, you're not going to tell Mary, are you? Ben calls him pathetic and leaves. So I kind of agree with Ben's assessment here that Richie Richie is pretty pathetic, totally unlikable, one of our two, one of our four leads. 
May goes to Planned Parenthood after this, or or wherever it is, for a consultation um, about abortion. And that night, she imagines like a little devil and a little angel, sort of on her shoulder, arguing about whether to go forward with an abortion. Uh, the angel makes the usual pro-life argument that, like, oh, you know, the, what features the fetus has developed after, you know, at this stage of development after so many days. Uh, the devil is cracking jokes about shitting out a bad Mexican meal. So you see that we're not going to do a very nuanced uh, or even-handed debate about the abortion question here. Uh, mm-hmm. The argument is basically abortion is murder, and the counter-argument is pretty much so. Yeah, it's like the anti-abortion advocates like representation of what the argument for abortion would be. Uh, May tells the angel and the devil to shut up because she's thought of a third option that will supposedly please everyone. Then we cut to the next day. Mary walks into May's room. Uh, She finds the room empty. There's a letter left to her. You see the entire letter and it's written out, but it really just boils down to uh, May is going to disappear for a while and have the baby and she's sorry and so on and so on. Um, And our issue ends with May hitchhiking and getting a ride to Philadelphia with some mustachioed dude in a pickup truck. So issue five starts with May recapping the events of the series in her diary. And she's now staying with the older seeming guy uh, that she jumped in the truck with. She calls her parents, but hangs up before saying anything. And then later, Mary, uh, or May goes to the bus stop and meets Mary there. And Mary has learned that May was cheating on Ben with Richard. Uh, Upon seeing that May is wearing sunglasses to possibly hide bruises from her new mustachioed guy, Mary says, quote, you deserve every kick and punch. In fact, I hope he hits you so hard sometime you end up in the hospital and lose your stupid baby. Uh, and this was one of the low points of these, the series for me, of the many low points. Like, I keep wondering what's going to yeah, it's... pulse me more. <laughs> and this is like, oh, this is just so... I don't know. Yeah, no, it's 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 really it's really ugly. It's all I mean she is there is sort of the implication, like the narrative is like she is sort of being redeemed through punishment or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Which is really not again, the umbrella not cool, but yeah, this is super gross. I hate this as well. Um mm-hmm. but I think I think because this is the absolute worst that this comic gets, uh things are looking up. So you have that to look forward to out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Plus we get a special Marvel cameo later on in the, in this issue. Yes. Just to, just to tease things. Right. Please, please, please don't stop listening to the podcast because we have thoroughly bummed you out with something horrible and ugly. Uh, We'll have, we'll we'll do, we'll 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 play trivia later. That'll be fun. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So after recovering from that, May learns that Mary and Richard broke it off, and May pleads with Mary to stop chastising her. She tells Mary that she's living with a guy who she's terrified of and who will kill her if he finds out she's pregnant, and she's also afraid her father will kill her if he finds out. 
May says if she wasn't afraid for the baby, she would kill herself. She pleads for Mary to help her. Uh, Mary is finally won, won over and hugs May. But yeah, you see, you see, it's like only by admitting that like her life is so shitty that she would kill herself mm-hmm. is the some sort of redemption attained. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> yep, and only after threatening or wishing her friend be brutally beaten yep can can uh, Mary grow and learn <laughs> so then we cut to six months later when we learn that Richard has continued to write letters to Mary trying to convince her uh, that he can win her over again she shows up at his garage door carrying a baby and Mary convinces Richard that it's his and her baby. She tells him if he means what he's been writing in his letters to her, he has to do the right thing and be a father, basically. So we cut to a wedding. Uh, Mary and Richard are getting married. And here's the aforementioned Marvel Universe cameo. We get a Bucky Barnes cameo at the wedding and find out that Richard's uncle and grandfather were both newspaper photographers at one point as well so apparently there's like a newspaper photographer gene <laughs> that baby peter is going to inherit yeah that's that, that is a super weird detail i almost wonder if this is like a setup for a sequel that didn't happen because like there's no reason to stop your horrible bummer teen romance comic to a crashing hole for three panels to be like let's talk about my uncle and brother who you will never meet and or uncle and grandfather that you'll never meet. Also, does Bucky Barnes's appearance here that mean that this is set in the Ultimate Universe? Because, I mean, like at this time, you know, Bucky is thought to be dead in like the regular Marvel Universe, but in mm-hmm. in the Ultimates, it was established that like he, you know, survived World War II, and that like I think that his deal was that he was a war photographer. So like, is this the origin of Ultimate Spider-Man? Uh... Or am I thinking too much? Because then it's like it makes even less sense because like. Peter is in high school in the Ultimate Comics at the time. That would mean that he's born much later than the eighties or the seventies. Mm-hmm. Am I am I am I thinking too much about this? I think it's the origin of the nineteen seventies TV Spider Man from. <laughs> uh, oh. I think, yeah. We'll just we'll we'll work out the chronology on the, on that one. But I have a theory. <laughs> um. So then. Ben uh, sees May at the wedding, and May fairly casually drops the information that she is having an affair with a married man. Also weird, and seemingly doesn't really set up anything. Um, To add further complication to when this was set, uh, Ben's date... So Ben is there with, like, a date, you know, and they sort of meet, you know, platonically at this point. And the date mentions that the DJ will be playing The Knack next on the playlist. So I've, again, done the research. Uh, My Sharona by The Knack was released in mid-1979. So this could be this, uh, unless she was, like, really into some super local band at the time, uh, this could be no earlier than that. But also probably not later if you're, like, excited to hear My Sharona, like, oh, this is that that cool new song, My Sharona, and not, like, remember that creepy song from 1979 (laughs) that's really catchy, Mm -hmm. but, but pretty awful, so. Uh, now, now I have to revise my, my theory. (laughs) 
So at that point, Ben slips May his phone number. And that's the end of Trouble. So yeah, um, uh, wrapping things <laughs> up. So I, I just want to, I want to get to the, the elephant in the room. I mean, there's a lot of elephants in the room in this one, but I'm going to mm-hmm. get to one first. Marvel says, we want to make a comic book that is aimed specifically at teenage girls to get them interested and excited about comics. Mm-hmm. Um, not only did they just write a stone cold bummer, but they, uh, with the exception of the inker, who's Rachel Dodson, the creative team is entirely dudes. It's come up with by the president and editor in chief and writer, Mark Millar. So like, mm-hmm. let's get a 30 something Scottish man who's known for his edgy takes on superheroes and ask him what he thinks teenage girls in America want to read about in a summer, exciting romance comic. Mm -hmm. I think it's one area that the comics industry has probably changed for the better because like if you announce like, Oh yeah, we're going to make teen girl comics today. And the creative team was all dudes. Mm -hmm. You would just get like dragged for that on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. Like that would, that wouldn't even get to the announcement stage. Everybody's, even the most clueless person at this point would say, like, wait a minute. Yeah, we've commented on some of the ways which it seems to show that it's all dudes. Um, I don't know. I mean, I I wonder about the gender politics of it. It's like, yes, May is kind of, uh, I guess, okay with her sexuality and embracing it, but it's like every everybody else is like judging, judging her and trying to punish her for it and so forth. And the lesson seems to be that she's a screw up because of her you know, sexual desires and that kind of thing. Yeah. There really is no like redeeming factor from it. It's just like, here is a girl. And because she cheated on her boyfriend, she gets all this, all this punishment. It's a, it's, you know what it's, what it's almost it's like, you know how like people always say that like slasher movies, are like really conservative and stuff in their, in their message. Mm-hmm. That's like, that's what, this is like a conservative after school special slash slash movie. Cause it's, it's teenagers at like a summer resort. Right. Mm-hmm. But instead of Jason that shows up, it's teen pregnancy. Yeah. Uh, again, like to the Friday the 13th thing, like Brian Michael Bendis was writing ultimate Spider-Man. And like at the time he like, I don't know if you read this, but like he said that he went to like, to like food courts at the mall and like, would sort of like sort of listening on, teenagers to sort of hear what they how they talk which is maybe creepy but you know it it really comes through he had this sort of an authentic sound yeah and then yeah mark millar is just basically like rent some friday the 13th movies pay attention to how those characters talk Mm -hmm. write your script (laughs) yep profit except for not in this case but (laughs) right yeah it's it, it does seem to have like a overall conservative bent to it even if it's trying to be like all edgy and pushing the the boundaries yeah it seems, it seems like they came into it going like let's do like a you know fun sexy like adventure for the summer by the end of it like oh well obviously <laughs> this has mm-hmm. to end in tragedy and uh people lying to their significant others can we talk mm-hmm. about that because like that's pretty so like the lesson is that like abortion is morally wrong in this 
in the story. But it's right. like it's okay to lie about whose baby this is to mm-hmm. trick your your cheating boyfriend into into marrying you. And the actual mother can lie to her future husband about about miscarrying. So like that's <laughs> This is a really horrible solution that they that they arrive at. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely the worst of all possible <laughs> situations or solutions. It's kind of like at the you know like at the end of Chasing Amy when uh Ben Affleck has this whole like scheme that like oh if we if all three of us sleep together then we'll all have like the proper narrative closure to our dramatic arcs. And they're like, well obviously not, that's stupid. Don't 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 do that. This is like if they went ahead with it and then it's like, oh, that solved everything. If you just yep. lie about who the father is, that's that will be fine. Could you separate when you were reading this, so I, I kept bringing it up. Could you separate like the story of what was going on from the knowledge that like this is supposed to be Aunt May and Uncle Ben and Peter Parker's parents? Um so I couldn't really do that separation, which I'm wondering if maybe I would have judged it a little differently if it wasn't that situation. Because I'm constantly thinking, like, this is... A, it's not consistent with any characterization of the characters we've ever gotten. And then B, it's like, I don't know, I think maybe they would be, I don't want to say more sympathetic, but... Yeah, I mean, it's it's really like Aunt like the 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 the, the, the takeaway that you get from this is Aunt May is a total screw up, and she admits it, and her friends admit it, and that's the. <laughs> but Uncle Ben, the the good dude, is willing to look past that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like we we keep we keep getting reminded that it's it's them, you know, like with the face of Tiger, you just hit the jackpot. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck do they look like Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy? Yeah. Yeah. There's I really hated this story. Like, yes. Yeah. Out of everything we've read. <laughs> yeah. This is perhaps this is the maybe the most the worst. Yeah, the most socially irredeemable thing that we could possibly have talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's before we get into the con- the continuity, which is what I care about is, mm-hmm. you know, so it's like the late 70s which works if Peter, regular Peter is in the, his mid-twenties, but not if it's ultimate Peter Parker, who's a teenager. Mm-hmm. And then, like, so if you do the math, like, if May gives birth to Peter when she's 17, and then Peter is, like, you know, 15, you know, 15 16, 17 when he becomes Spider-Man, in, in Amazing, <laughs> when you open up Amazing Fantasy 15, and you see this really, like, desiccated-looking <laughs> Aunt May... That woman is, mm-hmm. like, 35, maybe. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, people aged differently back then. Was... I guess, you know, all that all that hard living, I guess, is what, <laughs> that's that's the other hidden social message, is that, like, yes, yep. if you have do underage drinking and have premarital sex, you will look like you're 70 years old by the time that you are, you are 35 and taking care of your secret child that is secretly your nephew. Yeah, yeah. I will say that nothing technically uh, precludes the canon explanation of who P- Peter Parker's parents are. Are you mm-hmm. are you are you aware of the uh, the checkered history there? Um, no, no. I so, so like they mentioned. I mean, like, I just know like they were spies and yeah, stuff. which is which is a weird 
So the idea is that like in the original comics, it was like Richard Parker fought in like World War Two or whatever, and then he was recruited to the CIA, and he they were killed by like agents of the Red Skull. Mm-hmm. I think that is, that is like the thing that we all sort of agree was like sort of a misstep. That, like mm-hmm. Peter Parker is a totally normal dude, totally unspectacular circumstances. His parents were James Bonds. <laughs> they thought that they were killed by the Red Skull. <laughs> but otherwise, a totally, perfectly normal teenager like you get, you know. But then at the end of this series, Richie, they mentioned, like, he's going to join the Marines. Mm-hmm. So technically, there is still the opening that, like, that bit of... The one bit of continuity that everybody hates. Okay. I just like the kind of half-assed commitment to the concept where they're like... Uh, we've got this thing that we think is good, but maybe if you don't think it's good, it won't count. <laughs> it's they it's like somebody passed you a note in like algebra class, and it says like, "Do you want this to be continuity? Yes, no, maybe." <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you, do you do you think that there is an element of trolling to it? I honestly like. I think that's probably where it began. It's like just Mark Millar was given this assignment or I don't know if he proposed the idea, but it does seem like something where like a 15 year old would be like, this is hilarious. <laughs> what if like aunt may had sex, right. which I mean, it could have been folded into the what if line, of <laughs> right. comics. but yeah, I mean, it seems like it's designed to push Spider-Man fans buttons. Yeah, and, like, that is, like, at the time when Bill Jameis was, like, the president of Marvel and stuff, he, like, he used to do, like, stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I I can't think, I can't believe that Mark Millar like, thought this was an actually, actually, like, a, a good idea. So I, I actually, I, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll say, I hate Mark Millar. <laughs> of all the, of all the creative people that I have ever, you know, that I know about, First of all, he, by all accounts, a very lovely guy. There is I have never heard a bad word about him as like a human being and a person. He seems to be generous. Mm-hmm. Totally nice guy. Just everything that he writes. <laughs> so I don't, I don't hate Mark Millar. I just hate everything that he's ever written except for like four specific things that I can point out to you. Mm. And But even, even, even he, I don't believe that like he sat down at his computer and went like, Mark Millar, you you magnificent bastard! You've done it again. Uh-huh. <laughs> I would believe that this is like a solution, a situation like the movie The Producers. Mm-hmm. Somehow Marvel had to had to make a comic that, if it was money laundering or whatever, just to like that everybody would hate. You tell yeah. people it's for teenage girls, but you don't make it available <laughs> to any teenage girls. You put it in comic shops and you put all the the Spider Man stuff in it that is deliberately causes friction. You put these teenage girls on the cover, which any you know adult man is gonna feel weird about buying. Mm-hmm. But it, but yeah. it's like it's like the producers actually worked, and the thing did become a huge flaming wreckage. I I think that explanation is probably the most logical. Yes. So uh, if you are if you worked in Marvel's uh, bookkeeping department in two thousand three, and you want to blow the whistle. On this conspiracy, uh, mm-hmm. contact us at indefensibleinc at gmail dot com. We are we are always interested in doing investigative journalism on our bad mm-hmm. comics podcast. Absolutely. So, is there anything else to be said about trouble? Um, do you have any anything more? 
the art's okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that. Yeah, <laughs> that is the thing about like, ter- like Terry Dodson and Rachel Dodson. Very nice art. Mm-hmm. Maybe not what I would have picked to like appeal to teenage girls because he has sort of like a sort of a cheesecake, you know, kind of sensibility. But mm-hmm. it's light. It's fun. We get some uh, equal opportunity, you know, Richie and Ben cheesecake yeah. shots. So. Yep, yep. It's yeah, very positive in that in that respect. That's probably our quota for saying something nice about. <laughs> we we liked we liked we liked the art, and we liked that the opening credits were sort of like a movie. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's when you if you re-release this as a collection, that's the that's the blurb that you can take from us. Mm-hmm. Art's nice. Opening credits pretty pretty okay. But otherwise, I would like I would like to leave this forever. I would, <laughs> and it's like I. So it's like you know sometimes we have we. So I usually buy like physical copies of things, mm-hmm. and then I wonder like what am I gonna you know do I keep this like the young blood issues I kept because mm-hmm. like maybe I'll look at look at them later. Um, yeah. Lobo I haven't gotten rid of, but I'll probably do that at one at some point. Lady Death mm-hmm. I should probably get rid of. These I don't I don't I can't even take these like half price books and be like hi I'm an adult man who comes in and I want to give you how much can I get for these five comics with the teenage girls in swimming suits on the cover <laughs> don't call the police just give me <laughs> just give me some money mm-hmm. I will maybe I, I will leave these in the woods like <laughs> like seventies porn returning them to the earth <laughs> from whence they came. Well, uh, on that note, I think uh, <laughs> we will shift gears completely for some obscure and bizarre comic book trivia in our installment of Cannon Fodder. Neither of us got on the board last time, mm. in the last episode, so do you want to begin or shall... Um, hit, me, hit me with a question, I'm ready. All right. <laughs> I like that, it's an enthusiasm. Uh, so I went with, because this was ostensibly a romance comic, I guess, mm-hmm. but no, romance is in the air. It's, oh, yeah. Uh, so let's talk about some, some, a comic book romance. Hmm. When he was a boy in Latveria, Victor Von Doom had a childhood love named Valeria, who he eventually left behind to go to America and start on the path that would lead to him becoming Dr. Doom. Uh, many years later, Victor found Valeria again but their reunion was not a happy one for very long. What happened? Is it A, on a time travel excursion to Renaissance Italy, because Dr. Doom was a time traveler, she left him for Leonardo da Vinci and stayed behind to become the model for the Mona Lisa? Is it B, Doom made her queen of Latveria and briefly ruled beside her before discovering that she was actually a demon in disguise sent by Mephisto to trick Doom into giving up his soul. Is it C, to gain additional magical powers, Doom performs a ritual that requires him to sacrifice his true love and creates new leather armor out of Valeria's skin? Or is it D, Zarko the Tomorrow Man erased part of her memory, transferred her mind to a Doombot, and kidnapped her to the future where she becomes Doom 2099? (laughs) <laughs> okay uh, first of all I I really enjoyed the fact that your your romance related question begins with when he was a boy in Latveria <laughs> Dr. Doom centric yeah he's uh, definitely he, the, the Casanova of the Marvel Universe he's a romantic figure he's a Byronic figure <laughs> that, that's true 
oh, I want them all to be true. Is that? I am going to go with C. Yep, that is that is correct. Oh. A uh, a controversial move at the time. Doctor Doom retreating in his traditional metal armor for human skin. <laughs> mm-hmm. That uh, I'm sure that's probably been that was quietly sort of brushed aside. Mm-hmm. But okay, yeah, that was. Uh... I, yeah, I am sorry that my my first romance question was about about a supervillain who skins his childhood <laughs> childhood romance to make armor. Well, that's comics for you. Yeah. Uh, my first question relates to a Golden Age romance character, Millie the Model, created by Ruth Atkinson. It first appeared in 1945, and it was later revived at Marvel in the 1960s as an attempt at creating a successful romance comic then. So what was the name of Millie's red-headed rival? Was it, uh, was it A, Goldie Rains... B. Patsy Hearst, C. Chili Storm, or D. Charlotte Manson. Did you say was was the second one Patty Hearst? Uh, so sorry, it was Patsy Hearst. Oh, Patsy Hearst. Okay. Um, is it? I'm not, I'm not gonna say Goldie because she's got ready. Is it Chili Storm? That is correct. Oh, yeah. And it's spelled chili as in like the food chili. Yeah, I figured like a chili pepper. Oh, 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 like the like the food. I figured like chili pepper, red. Yes. So, uh, if you're up for some more doomed romance, when Peter Parker was a grad student at Empire State University, he frequently clashed with a fellow grad student named Marcy Kane, due to his you know various Spider-Man related activities always causing him to be absent or not show up when he was supposed to. Um, but eventually, they sort of got past their differences and became friends. With a hint of, like, possibly something more, maybe. Uh, unfortunately, this potential romance was doomed when her secret was revealed. What was her secret? Is it A, she had no romantic in- interest in him whatsoever and was merely being manipulated by the puppet master to convince Peter to use his knowledge of science to create a new batch of radioactive mind-controlling clay? Is it B, the Black Widow exposed her as a spy working for the second Red Skull, assigned to determine whether Peter possessed the plans to a doomsday laser that Richard and Mary Parker had stolen. Is it C, she was the daughter of the burglar who shot Uncle Ben and harbored an intense hatred of Spider-Man because she believed that her dad had been framed by Spider-Man and J. Jonah Jameson. Or is it D, she was actually an alien from the planet Contraxia, studying science on Earth to save her doomed homeworld, where she eventually returned with half-contraxian super, uh, half superhero Jack of Hearts. Hmm. Everybody's favorite superhero, Jack of Hearts. I feel like I have a pretty good knowledge of 70s Spider-Man, but uh, this is a blind spot for me. This would have been like, set, like Bill Matlow, Spectacular Spider-Man. Okay. I don't know if that's helpful. Uh, I'm going to go with D. The alien from the planet Contraxia? Yes. Yep. <laughs> it, it, this character was introduced when Bantlow was writing uh, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Then he had to write a Jack of Hearts miniseries, and he figured, mm-hmm. let's let's wrap up this plot line in the least 
logical way possible. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm learning more about Spider-Man than I, than I really needed to right. the past few weeks. Nobody really needs to know about the history of Marcy Kane. I just do. <laughs> so in Strange Tales, number 97, published a few months before Spider-Man's first appearance, a couple going by the name Aunt May and Uncle Ben appear, caring for a young girl in a wheelchair. What is the Twilight Zone-style twist ending of the story? One, the girl couldn't walk due to Earth's heavier gravity and boards a spaceship to return to her planet. Two, the girl is revealed to be a mermaid and she returns to Atlantis. Three, the story is actually taking place in the then future and she is a robot given to a childless couple. Or, uh, four, D, Aunt May and Uncle Ben were dead all along and the girl has been conversing with their ghost. May I take advantage of the fact that we are have an explicit level podcast today? Uh-huh. That girl's a fucking mermaid. <laughs> that is correct. I did. I did know that one. Oh, I just, I just learned that recently. So again, it's something that anybody needs to, should know. I shouldn't know it if I had the ability to go in and like clean up the files in my memory mm-hmm. it would be useful for me to purge that Aunt May and Uncle Ben seemingly appeared with a mermaid do- you know daughter but uh-huh. unfortunately this is the load that I have to carry for the rest of for the rest of my life uh, well if you if you aren't enticed enough to read trouble we have some other comics that you might want to check out in our recommendations segment i mean my recommendation is literally anything but tr- but trouble <laughs> i guess but um no i'm recommending also the julia roberts movie nothing but trouble nothing but trouble yes i would i would recommend any julia roberts movie any eric roberts movie <laughs> including a talking cat exclamation point question mark <laughs> do anything go outside <laughs> go, go pick flowers Just don't read trouble but if you want to buy these issues off of me go <laughs> get in touch they can be yours for very cheap anyway I do have a very a tentative recommendation um, which is the recently released because I actually bought a new comic uh, Fantastic Four Grand Design number one and two which is the complete series by Tom Scioli um, Tom Scioli is an artist who draws in a sort of a, in, sort of an indie style, but also like very influenced by Jack Kirby. Um, it's a companion of sorts to Ed Pisker's uh, X Men Grand Design, which uh, Ryan, you've recommended, I think, in our Marvel Team Up episode that you would you would enjoy that. Mm-hmm. And uh, but instead of being like that book was sort of like a streamlining of the X Men's history, this is sort of like a reinterpretation where it takes sort of takes the original stories as a jumping off point and goes to a lot of like unusual places and some sort of like controversial extrapolations. Um, so it's not actually like the detailed history. For example, instead of Galactus's origin beginning with him as a lone astronaut, he's one of a team of four to sort of make a parallel to the fantastic four. Uh, the mysterious magic jewels that Dr. Doom sends the fantastic four back to find 
in his first appearance in Fantastic Four number five. Those are the Infinity Gems. So there's sort of, you know, sort of connections with the Marvel Universe that are being made. I won't spoil the rest. Um, but as it progresses, there are some pretty, pretty big departures from the canon. It mostly focuses on the first 70 issues or so of the Lee Kirby Fantastic Four until about halfway through the second issue where it just goes off on like a wild tear. It's a couple of stories from the John Byrne run, um, some wholly invented pl- plot points. It ends with sort of a mashup between like Days of Future Past and also Marvel Zombies. At one point, the Black Panther shows up with other Wakandans who are piloting Panther mechs, and they sort of Voltron together into a giant robot that fights Galactus. So, if that that's <laughs> that's that's non-canon, I will tell you as a continuity expert. Uh, some reviewers found the style off-putting. He uses like a twenty-page or twenty-panel grid on most uh, pages, on regular size pages, so that some people find it actually like, physically difficult to read. And the tight size means that, like, instead of dialogue being naturalistic, it's, like, I'm going to say one sentence that really sums up this whole, like, background or meaning. Um, mm-hmm. I kind I kind of like the less is more approach, which reminds me of old comics. Um, when it's done deliberately, I don't mind like, putting in a bit of extra work and sort of making the connections for myself. But another effect of that sort of snapshot approach is that, like, I think you have to be really, really knowledgeable about Marvel history and specifically like those 70 issues of Fantastic Four to really get anything out of this comic because otherwise it's just like here's a bunch of stuff that happens with yeah that's how context. the, the uh, X-Men grand design was too <laughs> so uh, if you're looking at it for a primer on Fantastic Four history um, this is going to be bad because it's often actively misleading um, but if you are looking for like a compelling self-contained narrative this isn't that either <laughs> But if you are interested in the revisionist history of the Fantastic Four, based on a close reading of Lee and Kirby, I thought it was pretty cool. Okay. And before I give my recommendation, I have to state a retraction uh, that that Julia Roberts movie was entitled I Love Trouble. Oh, wait, what was so, Nothing But Trouble? I Isn't... I think there's another movie by that title, um, but... You you you, you 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 do the you do your recommendation. I will I will research this. Thank you. Uh, it's important that we get this right. Yes. Um, so Listeners I'm demanded. Re- That's right. I'm going to recommend Buffy the Vampire Slayer Volume One. High school High school is hell. Uh, that's a trade paperback of the recent updating reimagining of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And um, it's written by Jordi Belair with art by Dan Mora. And it's, uh, so as I stated, it's an updating of the series for contemporary society. And along with that, there's some kind of interesting twists on the classic characters. Um, So, for example, Cordelia is no longer super popular and super mean. She's also... She's now super popular, but also friendly, hmm. uh, which I think kind of tracks a little bit better with how high school popularity works in more recent times. Yeah. Um, but that's just my my impression. But sometimes the uh, the changes to the characters take, take some getting used to, so you kind of just have to sit back and be like, okay, they're obviously not going to just make the character the same and... 2020 um and and 
you have to kind of go with what what they're doing with it and, and think you'll enjoy it more. Uh, some of the good things that come along with that is there's less kind of nice guy, icky vibes coming from Xander in this story. Mm. And they actually have some recurring characters of color so far. So they're definitely improvements on 1990s Buffy. The dialogue is fun and quippy. The art is kinetic with, uh, and it also does, does a good job of capturing the likeness of the actors from the show. Um, and it, I think overall it still feels like it's in keeping with the spirit of the original series. Uh, so I've only read the first volume. I think there are at least one or two others out by now. Uh, but I'd recommend at least starting with Buffy the Vampire Slayer Volume 1. Is Xander still the worst? Or uh, No, no. He's much improved. Okay, cool. That's, that's something I watched that you know when I was younger. I thought like, oh, Xander's the coolest. And then mm-hmm. you watch it again when <laughs> you're a little older and you're like, oh, Xander's the worst. <laughs> yeah, that was the exact <laughs> same trajectory is, for me. Yeah, that is that is the, the evolution of male viewers of the show. Um, oh. Would you like to know about the movie with nothing but trouble? <laughs> a 1991 yes. American horror comedy directed by Stan Aykroyd in his directorial debut. Uh, Chevy Chase and Demi Moore are yuppies who are taken to court for speeding in the bizarre, financially bankrupt small town of Vulcanvania. Dan Aykroyd plays a 106-year-old judge. John Candy's in it. It's been compared to Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Psycho, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I assume not favorably. But, um, yeah, so it's probably still better than, than Trouble. I Yeah, not having seen it, I will... Say yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for keeping the nothing but trouble heads off my, you're, you're off my welcome. DMs. And... Don't at us. But if you do want to get in touch with us, uh, I think that will do it for today. So I will tell you that um, if you like the podcast, you should subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. Uh, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at Indefensible Inc. and on Facebook. You can email us at indefensibleinc at gmail.com. Hit us up if there's something that you think that we should be reviewing, if there's something maybe a little more obscure that we would like to uh, would like to hear our take on. Whatever it is, it won't be as bad as trouble, so we won't resent you for it. <laughs> but um, unless you have anything else, uh, until next time, I have been Justin Zyduck. And I've been Ryan McClure. And you have a good night and stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm.